We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hey, what is up, everybody? Welcome inside the Guilty as Charged podcast. My name is Steven, and I am your host, as always. And joining me are my guys, Tyler and Alex. Tyler, we'll start with you, man. How are you doing tonight? Uh, I'm a little under the weather. I got my booster injection yesterday, and then I also had to do a TB test. So I got stuck with a needle then. That's all for UCI. So, you know, whatever. It just seemed like everyone was trying to take jabs at me yesterday. <laughs> Well done. Well done. I hope you're feeling better uh, and certainly doing better tomorrow. And uh, happy birthday to Galadriel, man. She turned uh, one year one year old uh, uh, earlier this week, right? Yeah, she's one years old now. I've just really enjoyed watching my wiener grow the past year. <laughs> <laughs> Off to a great start tonight, my man. I appreciate it. Alex is here as well, man. Alex, how are you doing tonight? Yeah, I'm doing good. Uh, happy birthday to Ganondorf. Uh, you know, one year ago, uh, came into our lives right at that time. Uh, I think uh, I think two years ago, you guys started the first ever Chargers podcast, which, uh, you know, we've come to know. So uh, very excited to be here. Yeah, first yeah, mascot, yeah. at least for sure. Yeah. Oh my gosh, I love you guys so much, man. I appreciate that. I'm glad that I have uh, two co-hosts who actually have a sense of humor. So, you know, it's a great time around here. So, uh, of course, we have a a fun show planned for you guys tonight. We're going to talk about the signings of Morgan Fox and Zach Bailey. More so than Morgan Fox, Zach Bailey, of course, uh, you know, a a lesser signing, but still important and still worthy of mentioning. And then we are going to talk about, you know, our projections for this rookie class in terms of 
you know, what kind of roles could we expect? What kind of statistics might we, you know, see them put up and all things like that. So this is essentially going to put the bow on our draft coverage and we will kind of, uh, you know, really have a good time, you know, talking about those players. So first and foremost, we have to mention the Chargers decision to sign defensive lineman Morgan Fox. This is, of course, something that Tyler had heard was in the works, uh, you know, a few weeks ago. And then, you know, this week it kind of escalated with the Morgan Fox situation. So, uh, Tyler, why don't you kind of take it off here, your initial reaction to how we got to this point and, and what are your kind of initial thoughts of Morgan Fox's addition? Yeah, so I knew oh, there's Ganondorf. I knew there was <laughs> a 10th uh, body that was going to be added. I just didn't know, is it a starter? Is it a depth guy? And I guess technically we don't know yet with Fox. Um, I knew that was going to happen about, or it was starting to happen about last week. And then you started, well, Sebastian Joseph Day posted those eye emojis. And then you started to piece together that it was basically Morgan Fox. I couldn't think of who else it would have been. Uh, and then the night before they announced it, there was, you know, communication here and there. And it did strongly suggest that it was going to be Morgan Fox. And it turned out to be Morgan Fox, obviously. This is huge for the Chargers, both in the micro and macro. Micro, you know, small-ish scale although it's big for some players, they have good depth. They have a nice pass rusher. They have a guy who can play all over. To me, this is someone who's at worst more than your Joe Gaziano, more than your Christian Covington, a guy who can play all over for you, but you know, I can, can do a lot of things, at least as a good pass rusher, good depth. In the macro, in the biggest thing, and look, people have their theories about how the, the roster is organized and run, and some people feel that, and maybe it's been true in years past that Spanos, Telesco, whatever, impose their picks on and, you know, and their free agent signings or whatever on the head coach. And again, maybe that's been true. But this would like if Tillery is not the starter by week one or if they bench him pretty early on for Morgan Fox, A, it would make sense anyway, but B, it would be a huge, huge organizational shift. We know last year and the, the defensive line is what started all of this for what we know. And we'll, we'll never be able to share it. But we know how much of a problem accountability was on defense last year and how much people were questioned. I mean, media members, people like us, uh, people inside, were questioning the decisions that were made on, for the roster because it was a first-round pick starting. It was a bunch of friends starting. People just wanted competition. And now, if they let Fox come in, compete, and start over a first round pick. That is a massive organizational shift. I don't think we can't understate enough or overstate enough how important that would be for this team. Maybe at, at worst, just for outlook from fans and how they look and perceived outlook from fans on the outside. But if they truly let competition happen this year, where that was a huge problem last year that hurt a lot of people, if they let competition work out this year and Ogbonia beats out this person or whatever, and Morgan Fox beats out Jerry Tillery. That's huge. Now, he might not. Fox completely might just be a depth signing. But I asked the coach about whether Fox is going to be a depth signing or is he's just competing, or if he's just a depth signing or if he's legitimately competing for a starting job. And the, the word was, if I know Fox, that's already his job, takers only. He's going to be competing for this job. And that's huge. That's huge for the Chargers. To yeah. move forward like this, breed competition and acknowledge that just because you're a first round pick doesn't mean you get the right to start immediately. Doesn't mean you get the right to sit out the entire preseason. That would be a huge jump for this organization. 
Yeah, I think you look at, you know, just kind of what happened last year and, you know, it seemed like they were seeing all the right things in terms of competition. And, you know, we, of course, were seeing Brain Vohoko and Forrest Merrill and uh, Cortez Brown kind of, you know, battle it out for that last spot. And then it was like, okay, well, here's Eric Banks instead. And then, you know, we heard the things that we heard throughout the season and Jerry Tillery ends up playing like 850 total snaps on the year, which is just absurd. And part of that probably was the injuries. Part of that was, you know, losing Justin Jones and Linvat Joseph and things like that. But like they had no choice other than to play Jerry Tillery a ton of snaps because they just didn't have somebody behind him that kind of, you know, could offer the same kind of skill set. Now with Morgan Fox, you could have at minimum a truly complimentary piece behind him or like Tyler is saying, kind of, you know, challenge him for the starting spot, maybe even split 50-50. But, you know, they needed more pass rush from the interior. And, you know, we kind of, every time we were talking about the defensive line in terms of adding a draft pick, we, we were focused on, you know, drafting a, a Matthew Butler type or an, an Oyemela Uzurike type, somebody that could bring that and, and be that rookie developmental player. Then instead they go with Tito Obonia. And that's fine. You know, Tyler, and I think that he's probably better right now as a pass rusher. But, you know, long term, he's probably a, you know, Sebastian Joseph Day kind of player. So, you know, there just kind of was this void in terms of, you know, pass rush from the interior. Now you have Morgan Fox to kind of, you know, support that group and and improve a, a much improved pass rush. Like, you know, I'm working on this video in terms of deep diving into the Chargers pass rush. And last year was not pretty, like across the board. And now they've added Kilo Mack, they've added Kyle Vanoy, Austin Johnson, Sebastian Joseph. They are not great pass rushers, but they're better than they had last year with Linvaugh Joseph and Christian Covington. And now Morgan Fox is kind of the, you know, the bow or, or you know, the, the, the frosting on the cake in terms of the pass rush. So I'm a big fan of this just in terms of on-field play. If he does end up starting in front of Jerry Tillery, then like Tyler's saying, you know, that's a massive shift in in philosophy, but it's not a massive shift from Brandon Staley. You know, one of the things that we heard about him was that he was not afraid to play the later draft picks. Of course, you know, kind of the the biggest case there is playing Jordan Fuller over uh, Taylor Rapp and Terrell Burgess and, you know, have him be that starting free safety despite being a seventh round pick. So I think this would potentially be him being, you know, getting back to his roots. And if Morgan Fox outplays Jerry Tillery, I would not be surprised at all. Yeah. I mean, if Morgan Fox ends up being the number one starter and Jerry Tillery ends up being two or one of them's one, a one B, I think we're probably headed for kind of a one, a one B scenario. Um, yeah. I also think that that could be good for Jerry Tillery. Right. I mean, I think sure. part of the problem like you and Tyler alluded to is that he had to play not 850. I know the number is 878 because I looked at uh, those okay. gnarly <laughs> numbers on PFF today. Uh, so, you know, you kind of look at that and you're like, uh, I believe Fox played something like 561 last year. If you can kind of get that to be more in the middle for both of those players and say, you know, let's say Fox plays around 650 snaps, Tillery plays around 700, like, that's probably what you sort of optimally want or one of them being kind of one, a one B, like I said. Uh, and I think that takes pressure off of Tillery where he doesn't have sure. to come in on the run game as much. He doesn't have to, you know, play every snap, get beat up and then, you know, be the only really in, uh, interior pass rusher guy. Um, I think that's kind of what messed him up at times last year too. But uh, at, at worst you're bringing in a guy, a, you know, pretty much cheap depth signing, 
uh, who has familiarity with the Staley system. And it's not a coincidence that now pretty much at every level of the Chargers defense, including Bryce Callahan, including Troy Reader, uh, you know, including Khalil Mack, you're, you're just bringing in tons of guys who have, you know, familiarity with the Staley scheme, how it's supposed to be run. Uh, and, you know, basically at this point, Morgan Fox is another one of those guys. I feel like Morgan Fox has been a charger for like two months secretly because we've just been talking about him as like a <laughs> hypothetical sighting. I know Gavino has been on it from Chargers Wire. Uh, yeah. We've always talked about like, oh, maybe they get him, right? Uh, Akeem Hicks is another one of those guys, but they ended up going with Morgan Fox. Uh, so, no, I, I think this is a great signing uh, for the Chargers. You get more depth. They just needed another interior defensive lineman pass rusher at this point, whether that was going to be uh, like someone they got in the draft, whether it was going to be an Akeem Hicks, whomever. Uh, and I think Morgan Fox applies that, had his best season statistically under Brandon Staley, um, and has pretty much like kept up similar production numbers, you know, uh, in regards to his pass rush, you know, uh, pass rush wins, his pressure creation. Um, it's been, you know, pretty uh, on par with Jerry Tillery or better and pretty much all of these seasons, uh, last three years, I think he's actually created two and a half percent more uh, pressure. So, you know, over a series of thousand snaps, that's about another 20, 30 pressures added. So that's not bad either. So I think really the Chargers just kind of got better, right? Like they've been doing with these signings uh, in terms of getting Bryce Callahan, in terms of getting all these pieces after the draft, uh, like Kyle Van Noy as well. Just another place where I think they won in the margins and, you know, this kind of goes into uh, a lot of our comp pick discussions that we've been having, right? Um, I, I think it was pretty unlikely uh, that you were going to get like significant comp pick value out of Jerry Tillery. But if Morgan Fox does kind of like have a quasi breakout season and some team wants to give him a one year, two year contract next year, like in the same vein of Kyle Van Noy playing with this defense, that's uh, some added value, I think, to him as well in terms of what he could bring to the Chargers down the road, even if he is only here. For one year, um, but I, I think it just made all the sense in the world to go get another pass rushing defensive lineman and specifically one that has a lot of familiarity with Staley. Yeah, you know, last year you, you kind of got sick of like, oh, like here's another former Broncos cornerback to like come in and fill the gaps. And like, you know, Brandon Staley was able to bring in like bottom of the roster kind of players to be familiar with his scheme, but they were they were that they were bottom of the roster players. So now you have you know, Morgan Fox, now you have Bryce Callahan, now you have Troy Reader, guys who will actually come in and contribute. Of course, Khalil Mack is there. And I know certain people were kind of complaining about that, like, oh, this is just a bunch of Staley guys. But it's like, well, then you also have JC Jackson, you also have Kyle Vanoy, you also have, you know, these rookie players. And so I think there's a good balance of the Staley guys and like the not Staley guys, you know, players who are, are not so used to playing in this kind of scheme, although maybe a little bit similar. So, yeah, I think there's they've done a good job of balancing just get the band back together and adding like legitimate talent that are kind of outside sources as well. So that's not really an issue for me. Yeah, I completely agree there. What do you think about I have not watched Morgan Fox, but he seems to be perceived better pass rusher in 2021. Not good in run defense statistically, but in 2020, way better. And the coach I talked to said that. Carolina was just a, a glorified college football team and didn't know what to do with him. So going back to 2020 will be great, but let's even yeah. just say that Fox is a much better pass rusher than he is a run defender. Let's just say he's at, he's at that point in his career. What do you think then about this run defense 
as it is. Everyone's thinking, oh, we got Fox and be really good in run defense. Oh, we got Otito Agbonia. Here goes our run defense. But both of those guys do project to be better pass rushers than run defenders. So what do you think about the way the roster is constructed and the fact that they're just kind of loading up on pass rushers, which isn't bad, but they, if Fajoko's off the roster because of this move, we're really starting to slim down how many run-stopping options that we have overall. Yeah, I think, you know, when Brandon Slade was hired, I, of course, watched a lot of the 2020 Rams defense, and Morgan Fox was somebody that stood out. And I think if he hadn't gotten the kind of contract from the Panthers that he did ultimately receive, then, you know, we might have been looking at a player who was on the Chargers last year. Um, so he was somebody that absolutely stood out to me. I think if you go back and rewatch and kind of study the differences there, when he's was with Brandon Staley and the Rams, he was mostly a five tech, meaning rushing in front of the defensive, in front of the offensive tackle, excuse me, or from the three tech, four tech, occasionally even over the center. And that's really where he makes his money, in my opinion. I know he's a little bit on the lighter side in terms of a defensive tackle, but then he signs with the Rams and the majority of his snaps came from the edge if you're breaking things down. So he gets more snaps on the edge, which is, it's a different game out there. It's a lot more space. You have a, a bigger responsibility. <laughs> and it was a college. Like the, the Panthers do a 3-3-5 bullshit college Big 12 defense. It drives me insane that Matt Rule got to bring this bullshit scheme to the NFL. Like I, I hate it so, so much in case you couldn't tell. And so it just creates, you know, it creates more double teams for Morgan, for a player like Morgan Fox. It creates, you know, tougher situations to produce as we saw kind of, you know, if you, if you think of like a three, three, five defense that you're maybe familiar with, of course, maybe you look at like a Logan Hall or a Peyton Turner from Houston as somebody that was kind of linked to the Chargers the last two years. Of course you have Baylor as well runs a three, three, five and still does after, uh, Matt Rule left. So I think the situation in Carolina, it was poor coaching. It was a poor scheme fit. It was a different role. And yeah, sure, he didn't produce as much as he did in with the Rams, but I mean he still he still would have been like fourth on the Chargers in pressures last year. And so I, I think the Chargers are getting a fine player. I, I saw some people like be very, very stoked and like this is awesome. And it, it is a good sighting for sure. But you're getting your fourth maybe third defensive tackle, depending on how it, it situates with him and Jerry Tillery. Yeah, I mean, I think the run defense thing is a little bit overstated too. Like Morgan Fox, no one is going to confuse him for like, this guy's going yeah. to, you know, uh, stop the run. But, you know, he's decent enough at it to kind of get by with his pass rushing skills. And they've also upgraded everything around Morgan Fox and Jerry Tillery, right? Like you can sort of live with their liabilities in the run game because now you've replaced Linval Joseph with Sebastian Joseph Day, right? Now you've replaced Christian Covington, still have Christian Covington, but you've replaced him with Austin Johnson. And now you have Khalil Mack instead of Uchenna Nwosu, right? So like in terms of the run game, they've made upgrades everywhere else on the line. So you can kind of afford to have some pass rush or some guys with pass rush upside that aren't as strong um, against yeah. the run. So I, I think that's really where I stand on it. Um, again, no one's going to like confuse them for lockdown run defenders, but at the same time, I don't think that matters as much with the upgrades that they made. Yeah. And what I know for sure is that Morgan Fox is a better run defender than Jerry Tillery. Like that's without a doubt. So, um, 
You know, it is going to be really interesting. But like Alex is saying, I think you have Sebastian Joseph Day and Austin Johnson who will be kind of your two starters, if you will. I would expect them to play the bulk of the snaps. And those those players too, you know, providing an upgrade in pass rush as well as run defense. So if everybody in this unit stays healthy, you know, I think we can talk about that sixth spot being up for grabs. Maybe it's Fajoko, maybe it's Covington, um, maybe it's Forrest Merrill. I know people still really like him. But I think you have five spots secure with Sebastian Joseph Day, Austin Johnson, Tillery Fox, and of course, Obonia. And then, you know, we'll kind of see. I, I hope that sixth spot is Brandon Fajoko. I really do because he is their statistically most productive run defender outside of Sebastian Joseph Day and, and Covington. Well, Brandon said they kind of spoke very highly of him. The film and the numbers don't really back that up. And, and so I hope that I really do hope that six spot comes down to Brandon Fajoko. What are the odds you think they keep seven out of curiosity? Ooh, that they keep seven. I was trying right. to look. The Niners are very different. Obviously, they keep 11, but that's that's very different. I was yeah, trying to they see. Rotate, they rotate all of their guys so much. Mm-hmm. I Wait, think the Jets probably seven, the same. That they interior keep seven interiors? Oh. Mm-hmm. They did five last year. Seven would be a huge jump. But they do have two open yeah. spots because no more tight end four. Probably no more running back four. It's possible. I think I, the I'm pretty confident in saying... What's up, Alex? I was just saying, I think the max you're probably getting is six. I don't think they're going to go as yeah. far as seven. I don't really think Merrill makes the roster at this point. Um, Fajoko's probably kind of on that bubble like we've talked about. Uh, and now you're bringing Morgan Fox into the fold. But I, I think it's much more likely to be around five or six. I feel pretty confident that it's going to be six this year. I think they learned down the stretch how important it was to have that six body. And even if you make somebody inactive on game day, like you have the option, you're playing the Cleveland Browns, you're playing the Ravens. Hey, we need more beef in the interior of this game, maybe against the Raiders or somebody who's not going to run the ball as much. Okay, we can get away with five. We'll do five edge rushers this game or, or you know, six receivers or whatever. But I, I think they learned their lesson when it comes to only keeping five. And I think we will see them ultimately keep six. But I think Fajoko certainly has a chance, man. I think Covington mm-hmm. has a chance as well. So I think that spot is is really going to be a, a heated competition in training camp. And if they really are about production and legitimate competition, then I, I expect Fajoko to uh, win that competition. I, I I hope they've learned their lesson. I don't know that they have <laughs> yet. We'll find out when they make the sure. roster. But instead of keeping six defensive linemen and one inactive on game day, they kept four running backs and one inactive on game day. So we'll figure out when that time comes what their decisions on the roster are going to be. Uh, I, I hope you're right, Stephen, but um, we'll see. Yeah, we will see. I, you know, I hope I'm right, too, because <laughs> keeping five would be really stupid at this point. Um, all right, we'll talk briefly about the Chargers' decision to claim Zach Bailey, uh, former offensive lineman who's played uh, on the practice squad most of his career. I don't think he's actually ever appeared in an NFL game. Uh, he's been on the practice squad of the Vikings, the Commanders, and others. But this is something that's obviously been in the works. The Chargers have put in uh, waiver claims on two or three, at least two, potentially three, I think, uh, before ultimately claiming Zach Bailey. So they clearly felt the need to add another body to the offensive line group. Um, Again, there's like no film of this guy since he came into the league. There's no statistics. But Alex, any thoughts here on the decision to sign Zach Bailey? Um. 
probably just a training camp body at this point, but I mean, they might let him and some of the other, you know, guys that are going to be competing for some of those final guard spots, like just kind of go at it and see, you know, which ones can make the practice squad. That that's sort of what it seems like. Um, they've been beefing up that interior offensive line, both before and after the draft, you know, they, they got the clap uh, and they decided to, you know, do that before the draft, get the center uh, to, you know, replace Scott Quesenberry. So, you know, ever since then, obviously, then they go get Zion Johnson and Jamar Salier in the draft. So at this point, I think that, you know, getting Zach Bailey is really just like a depth move. Um, I, Steven, if you don't have any offensive line breakdowns on this guy, <laughs> I'm not going to have a whole lot to say on him. But I, you know, I, I think their repeated like waiver claims and stuff like that makes it clear that they uh, view the interior offensive line as an area of focus. And, um, you know, I mean, at this point, you just sort of want more guys to give you that competition in the preseason. And I think that's probably what this is about. Yeah, I, again, I don't know anything about this. The college numbers look good. I think his pass blocking efficiency was like 98 something. They do, yeah. So there's that. Uh, obviously not exactly sticking with any team right now. So I don't know how good or how bad he's been. Happy to have him. <laughs> yeah, there was. Uh, they did put a claim in on Drew Himmelman, I think is how you say that. Uh, sure. Former Bronco who actually uh, took the place initially of Zach Bailey in Washington. And then Himmelman uh, ended up failing a physical. So now he's back on the, the free agent market. So I, I don't think there's necessarily any like big takeaway. Like I saw some people were asking me on Twitter, like, oh, does this mean they're kicking Matt Filer to right tackle? And it's like, no, I don't think this has any kind of really large ramification on, on the roster. I think we'll kind of just see how they sort out the best five offensive linemen in training camp. But I think they wanted some more competition for the back end of the roster. I think you have a guy like Ryan Hunter, you have some of the undrafted free agents. So, they just wanted to be able to kind of fill out the preseason offensive line units. Maybe there's a chance that him or Hunter kind of beat out Will Clapp, but I kind of doubt it. So ultimately, I think the excuse me, I think the nine offensive line spots that they'll carry on the active roster are kind of spoken for at this point. Um, but you know, this could be a practice squad stash. This could be, you know, just kind of that that ultimate dart throw. My current NFL conspiracy is that the Chargers. Haven't made a move at right tackle yet because they're reworking Matt Filer's contract. That's my conspiracy right now. Uh, Steven, I'm curious what you think of this just because there's been very little buzz on Brendan Hymas at this point. Um, sure. Not that I think he's really in danger of losing a roster spot, but you know they did take Salier, obviously got Will Clapp. Um, what do you kind of make of, I guess, the lack of noise on him at this point? Yeah, so Brandon Thorne uh, was on Duke Mannyweather's, or I guess Duke Mannyweather was on Brandon Thorne's podcast. And this was, this was in like February. And Brandon Thorne said that he heard good things about Brendan Hymas' development throughout the season and that the Chargers were reportedly excited about him. And then, of course, they drafted Jamari Salyer. So I think the decision to draft Salyer was, frankly, they just wanted to get more quality offensive linemen and didn't really feel like they could take a, a, a project at that point and you just take the value of Salier. So I don't think he's, I don't think he's in danger of getting cut. I don't think he necessarily has a clear shot at starting either, unless they are kicking Matt Filer to right tackle. But, um, you know, we'll see. They gave him a true red shirt, red shirt season last year, barely played except in blowouts and really was inactive for most of the season. So, I mean, we'll get into the Salier projections in a, in a minute here, but, it is interesting that they kind of 
drafted another guard, drafted Zion, of course. So it is kind of his future is kind of cloudy in terms of getting a a starting spot. But if he becomes a valuable backup as a fifth round pick, then you're still talking about a valuable player. It's just, you know, his preseason film was so good. I was so high on him as a as a draft prospect. So I wish he could get a chance, but I guess we'll see. Yeah, I think with with Clap, they were just okay. Let's just find the guy ahead of the draft, and then Sailor was just oh my god, this guy's falling to us. We might as well take him in the sixth round. I think Hymas just hasn't moved. I think he's exactly where he has been. I don't think he's fallen out of favor. I don't think he's gained favor. I think just think he's where he is. Scott Questenberry, I don't know if they, well they didn't draft any other guards most of the time that he was there, but he just always always that bridesmaid never a bride sort of guy. And I think Hymas just might be that. We're always going to have a very very good depth option. Sure. spot starter maybe and that's about it yeah which you know kind of sucks but it is what it is um all right so before we get to our rookies we did have a, a super chat question from clinton uh Ehrlich, i'm gonna guess that's how you say that uh let me know it says hypothetically justin herbert refuses to play quarterback do you convert him to tight end or linebacker Ooh, for Can what it's tackle can you play right tackle? <laughs> He's got the size and the length, man. You just got to add the, you know, 60 yeah. pounds. I mean, Jerry, till he can duke it out. Right <laughs> yeah, you, he can he can play right tackle. Then you trade for Tyrod Taylor. And, you know, sure. we were just running back. Yeah, there you go. I, for what it's worth, his brother played or plays. I don't know if he's still at Oregon, but he was a tight end. he is. So mm-hmm. maybe that runs in the blood a little bit, I guess. I don't, I don't, I don't know if he would have the kind of aggressive nature to play linebacker, but I would put him at tight end if he refused yeah. to play quarterback. Maybe be yeah. Terrell Pryor. There you go. He's in like Terrell Pryor. <laughs> um, what else? Safety. I don't know. Big giant safety. Oh my goodness. All right, so... Thomas pointed out that Zach Bailey is listed as a guard slash tackle on his Twitter mm. bio before the Chargers uh, picked him up, and I guess he played right tackle in college. So, yeah, cool. Oh, we'll see. I guess they had Hymas do both last year. Yeah, so we'll see. Uh, somebody asked OBJ to the Chargers. Uh, no, would be very surprised. Yeah, uh, I joked about it because I couldn't think of another person other than Fox. <laughs> but uh, no, nah, it's it's probably not happening. But I I don't know. I guess never say never now with this regime. Yeah. Uh, Kyle Tucker said that Patrick Herbert is still at Oregon. So there you go. Did you guys watch the uh, interview with Tranquil? I have not, I have yet. not yet. Was it good? That's fine. That's <laughs> fine. <laughs> he's just not, you know, Philip Rivers or he's there's no... He's a nice guy, and I guess the the biggest thing I took away from it was that you know he's at Oregon, and Tranquil's asking him, you know, did you expect to start? Did you this or that? He's like, you know, no, I just you know thought everybody else was better than me. I thought this guy was better. I didn't think I was going to start, and they finally started getting him one reps, and he's like, oh well, cool, I get to throw to the fast guys today. Um, so Staley, I guess, approached Herbert and said, listen, you got to stop being this aw shucks guy. You got to just go take it, like go win go fight for it, all that sort of stuff. So I thought that was the most interesting thing. Otherwise, it was, I mean, I Herbert saw somebody, is a nice guy, but he's not like a crazy good interview. Yeah, I saw somebody pointing out that, I guess in the same interview, 
he said that the Chargers have kind of asked him for input. Is that mm. true? I I missed that. I only watched the first half. Okay, but I mean, obviously Justin is such a good player, and you know, I was posting about his uh, lack of turnover plays today. Mm-hmm. But you know, media wise, it's so funny because he always uses the phrase like "such a great opportunity." And he even said that at the groundbreaking of the practice facility in his interview right after. They were like, Justin, yeah. what do you think about this? He's like, oh, this is a great opportunity for us. <laughs> he's he's definitely got his his like phrasing down. Yeah. His like rotating set of 10 phrases. Looks like we got another super chat from Clinton. Uh, which player on the roster do you think would be most effective if converted to the other side of the ball? Oh, it's Derwin James. Derwin Absolutely. James. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Um, receiver be fantastic. Yeah. Derwin was playing offense. I, I, so I watched that interview a while ago and he was playing a ton of offense. And I think it was the high school he went to. They only had a safety spot on varsity available. So he's like, okay, I'll just play safety. So he, he would have legitimately been an offensive player, but he went up being a safety. I feel like Nasir Adderley would be a pretty sick wide receiver if he did, if he had hands like that would that would that would be cool. But that, there's, a reason, there's a reason he plays well. defense. Yeah, but um, uh, Keenan Allen said he was on the uh, Mark Ingram and Cam Jordan podcast last summer and said that some schools offered him as a safety as opposed to yeah. a receiver. So that could be another one. But Keenan's a little too slow. Like I, I think you know that's. Find a receiver where you're playing in the slot a lot, but I think he's a little too slow to play on an island as a safety. Um, Donald Parham I, as an edge rusher would be sick as hell. Just I would love to see Rashawn Slater play defense just because I think he's <laughs> super freaking talented. Yeah, he's a, a defensive tackle or slim down for an edge rusher. Um, I don't want to see Chubby Rashawn Slater. Uh, let's go <laughs> I know they posted it a few days ago, but that video of him doing that pass set in the water and just <laughs> like fish. sending that fish flying. <laughs> I'm glad the Chargers acknowledged it because I, I was like, wait, did, the, did he step on a fish? <laughs> yeah, poor, and then he looks at it like, oh crap, I just killed a fish. That's nasty. <laughs> that's, that's an explosive pass set. It was in the water too. So yeah. And uh, Clinton, apologies for mispronouncing your name. I, I took a shot and I was wrong, but uh, thanks yeah. for that. And appreciate Sean the Slater's, super chats. Rashawn Slater's got uh, quick left tackle feet, but not quick enough to save that fish. <laughs> no prisoners, no mercy. <laughs> no mercy. All right, we are going to kind of shift gears here and we're going to talk about some of our projections for this rookie class and specifically kind of determining what roles they might play. And if applicable, we'll talk about some stat projections you know those day three guys are 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 a little bit tough um but we'll do our best so of course we have to start with zion johnson the chargers first round pick obviously going to be the chargers starting right guard and i think this is an interesting case study and arjun kind of pointed this out too you know the guard prospects who come right in and you play guard versus the ones who are tackle prospects who convert to guard on the inside um of course, I knew you had. I knew you had a presentation. I thought about doing one because I did like a Google Doc, but I knew you're going to do it. So yeah, now uh, I just feel like an do- asshole. Like, oh, <laughs> well, here's this fucking presentation again. Here we go. Here's no, it's great. It's necklace. great. It's great for our visual audience, man. It really is. I appreciate it. 
And like I said, I thought about doing one, uh, but I just have my Google Doc with all my notes and things like that. So uh, why don't you run down what you uh, have on this presentation first? Oh, it's just a little visual thing for anybody who's watching or just for us to look at. It's his pass blocking efficiency or obviously the changes for defensive players. Uh, you know, pressures allowed, sacks allowed, penalties, RAS score. And then the composite at the bottom is the composite rankings where we had them on a stats, you know, per play stats basis, just for anybody who's curious. So here's what it looked like. So if I say, oh, well, you know, he had this or that, or he wasn't that great at this or that in college, we at least have some numbers here for some context. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I have to say where to go. Um, ben S, shout out to Ben S. It says PowerPoints in the chat. Uh, <laughs> you know, so Daniel Popper has the spreadsheets. We have the PowerPoints, uh, I guess. Okay, hey, you know, sweet. <laughs> there you go. Um, so, yeah, I, I went through and, and kind of not studied film. I mean, I, I'm familiar with some of these guys, but I went and looked at kind of the recent rookie guard comparisons that could potentially fit what we could see from Zion Johnson. And I think the first one that just was kind of a natural thing for me because, you know, I, I was such a big fan of him and, the, and I graded them very closely is Elijah Vera Tucker. Yeah. And so, you know, you look at what Elijah Vera Tucker did last season, like Arjun was pointing out, he was a tackle prospect converting to guard. And I think that showed in glimpses of his rookie season. Mm -hmm. uh, he ended up starting 16 games for the Jets last season and really struggled out of the gate. So he ended up allowing 15 pressures in his first four games, which is not great. But I think you saw him really make some strides down the stretch of the season. Despite, you know, allowing 42 total pressures, he did have a pass blocking efficiency rating of 96.6, which is very, very good for a rookie guard. And, you know, I think, like I mentioned down the stretch, he ended up only allowing uh, six pressures in his last six games. You know, second in the class in run blocking grade, he only had five penalties. So I think he had a slow start, but I think he finished strong. And I think that is a possibility for Zion. The other one I wanted to mention is, is Cesar Ruiz, who I kind of compared him to, compared Zion to, at least athletically, um, leading up to the draft. Caesar was pretty solid for the Saints across the board. Um, he, he did have a game against the Bears and specifically Akeem Hicks, where he allowed eight total pressures in one game, uh, which is obviously not great. But he ended up only allowing 25 total pressures, very similar pass blocking efficiency rating as Elijah Vera Tucker. But he was a significantly worse run blocker, according to PFF. His run blocking grade was 61.6. So I think he struggled a little bit more. He was a center in college, so I think maybe kind of just being that shift was a little more difficult than, than people kind of thought, but he was a solid player. So I think those are two players that were like natural comparisons for me, uh, especially, you know, athletic profiles being very comparable for both of those guys. Um, but I'm curious to kind of what hear what you guys think in terms of yeah. maybe some comparable situations or players that could be, you know, potential fits or, or, or comps for him, I guess. Yeah, I first looked at last year and I was thinking, okay, we don't, what did everybody else do at guard? And most of the guys that struggled were those guard tackle converts, you know, Leatherwood, Mayfield, Elijah Vera Tucker. I was surprised to see that Trey Smith allowed 49 pressures for some reason. I just assumed he was a lot better than that. I mean, the pass block efficiency wasn't that bad, but still 49 was a surprise. I think it's tough because I'm trying to weigh Zion, like Zion Johnson, our favorite off interior offensive lineman, highest grade interior offensive lineman, me the last two years, my only two years you for three years. 
So I, I take that into account and I consider someone like Trey Smith, who I liked less. And so I think he'll do better than that, at least. And sure, the only problem, and the, it can't be like a perfect situation, is Zion is going to be playing right guard. That does give me a little bit of pause there. And then he is likely at this point playing next to Trey Pipkins or Storm Norton. And I just don't think that's the best situation. If he's if he were on the left side between Slater and Lindsley, that's golden. That's a beautiful situation. His natural spot. Having to go to right guard, not having a great right tackle situation next to him, that's a bit more concerning. So I mean, we'll talk about stats in a bit. But I think I'll have a good season. I think I'll have a better season than someone like a Trey Smith in terms of pressures allowed. I think he'll just be good throughout the year at worst. Um, there'll be some iffy games because he just the switch is difficult, sure. even though he's a guy who's built and can switch, but he has he has to switch. So I think it'll be a solid season, better than someone like a Trey Smith, but I don't think it'll be the peak season he could have because he is switching. Yeah, I think the switching component kind of makes it hard for him to have the peak season in addition to the fact that we don't know who he's playing next to at right tackle, right? right. In theory, that could be Matt Filer. Um, but then if it's Matt Filer playing there, you're probably moving him to left guard, like we've said. So, um, or you're having to help a lot with either Trey Pipkins or Storm Norton. Um, I mean, I think with Zion, you're going to get very solid play. There will be some iffy moments. I think for people that are probably expecting like a Rashawn Slater season, because we were spoiled last year, you're probably not going to get that. You're not going to get like an all pro you know, Pro Bowl like type year, I don't think from Zion Johnson, like out the gate, um, just because I, I think it's harder for guards to come into the league than it is for like first round tackles anyway. Um, but, you know, I think he'll be very solid, certainly like an upgrade over, you know, what they've had before uh, in, in terms of like trying to just fit a right guard in there. Obviously, you know, Abushi was good prior to going down last year, but I think if you get even Abushi or slightly above Abushi, you know, performance last year. That's what you could probably expect from Zion Johnson. Sure. Um, it'll take him a while to sort of fit in. You just hope for some of the consistency along that line and for the Chargers to kind of stick with whatever decision they make at right tackle and not have to, you know, have a bunch of moving pieces move around. So, um, but ultimately, Zion is clearly the most pro ready player in the Chargers class. Um, and yeah. you know, I, I think he has kind of the least concerns coming out about what his role is or what his stats are going to be. Granted, he's an offensive lineman, so I don't know if there's a ton of like stats sure. to talk about, but yeah, mm-hmm. right. I can't believe okay, so uh, we all know this about Rashawn Slater, we know he's great. 26 pressures allowed all year last year for some reason. I thought it was more 26, man, like Leatherwood 65, Mayfield 57. Smith for 49, Vera Tucker 42, 26 as a left tackle. Jeez, man, what a season. And he said in his press conference that some of his rookie film made him cringe. <laughs> this guy is going to be well, He was so watching Joshua Kelly block. Uh, <laughs> yeah, probably. Probably. That one time Joshua Kelly tried to chip Miles Garrett and ended up pushing Miles Garrett into Justin Herbert, essentially. Um, you know, good stuff. But I, so I think. Obviously, Quentin Nelson is kind of like the gold standard of like immediate guards. I don't think that kind of play for Zion Johnson is realistic by any means. I think you can make an argument that Nelson is obviously the best interior offensive lineman in the league and was that right away. And I don't think that's going to be the case for Zion. But I think in terms of best case scenario, we could look at Elton Jenkins from the Packers. I think that, like I said, best case scenario. And, you know, he was 
Uh, very similar prospect. He was a center in college. He was, he played both at, at the senior bowl, really kind of renowned for his, his smarts and his intelligence and also his physicality and things like that. So he was not necessarily an immediate star like Quentin, Quentin Nelson was, but Elton Jenkins was a pro bowl player as a rookie. Um, he did not allow a single sack and he only allowed 20 total pressures and had a passive blocking efficiency rating of 98.0. So he was a fantastic rookie. Obviously, there's certain parallels there because he played next to Corey Lindsley. Zion Johnson is going to be playing next to Corey Lindsley. Athletic profiles kind of match up. Um, but I think you can kind of look at that as being the best case scenario. PFF only gave him a 65.7 run blocking grade. And I remember watching Corey Lindsley and watching Elton Jenkins' rookie season after the Chargers signed Corey Lindsley. And that did not reflect his play at all, in my opinion, in terms of his run blocking grade. Um, so I think, again, you're looking at that being the peak. And I think he ultimately ends up somewhere in between what we're talking about with Elton Jenkins, who was an immediate Pro Bowl player, and Cesar Ruiz, who for the most part was really, really solid across the board. And I think you'll have, again, some really high moments. You know, we'll see that that physical dominance. We'll also see some struggles like he's probably going to get beat a few times by Aaron Donald in week 17. You know, Chris Jones will probably give him some trouble of course, as they do that to everybody. But I feel confident in projecting a, you know, very, very good season for Zion Johnson. And if everything goes well, maybe he does kind of challenge uh, for the Pro Bowl. Maybe he gets like a Pro Bowl alternate spot or something like that. But obviously, we feel very, very good about Zion's uh, projection. Interesting question here from Chorizo, and then we'll kind of move on here. How much different is your projection for Zion's rookie season? if he starts out as left guard versus right guard? Um, statistically, I, I don't think I could really tell you. Let's say I would go from a 97 PBE to 98 or something. I would just feel more comfortable about his floor and his ceiling, but I don't think he would have as many laps games, especially playing between those two guys. Uh, couldn't really put a number to it, but I think as a left guard, you could legitimately have like a second team all pro again. Honestly, that's how I feel about him. Right guard, maybe not as much. Yeah, I agree. I think left guard is the is the better spot for him if we're just trying to like move the offensive line around. Um, but at this point, if they're not going to move either there, then they have to play him a right guard and, and take the punches that come with that. So apparently Austin Gale and Mike Renner were doing a all under 25 team and almost put Zion in there. Oh, no, he was an honorable mention or something. It must have been. Um, I mean, how many guards? I assume they broke it up guard and center, not just interior. How many? I mean, again, we talked about last year's guard class. Most of them were not that like 40 something. Like PFF should love Zion Johnson. Statistically, they are a stats based group. And given all that, like what was Zion's percentile? Or what, what was it? Did PFF have the rate of blown blocks or was that something else? That's true media. And it was like, what, 0.3%? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So stats-based guys, they would love Zion Johnson, I think. So that makes sense. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. 
ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Yeah. All right. So expecting big things from Zion Johnson, of course. We'll kind of see what position he plays, but I feel confident in his rookie season. Let's get to JT Woods next, of course. Chargers do not have a second round pick. JT Woods being the third round pick. Um, Tyler has his by the numbers here. He had 51 tackles, 16 run stops, the missed tackle percentage of 17.9, one touchdown allowed, nine interceptions and pass breakups. Is a 9.43 RAS score and was safety 12 out of 26 on the composite rankings uh, list that we compiled. So, Alex, we'll start with you here. What are your expectations for the role that JT Woods will play and uh, maybe potentially some statistic breakdowns? Um, Yeah, I mean, I think if you're looking for a statistical comparison, it's kind of hard to find one, but I sort of went back to like what Nasir Adderley's real rookie year was in 2020. He ended up having that interception. Um, I think total he had like three, four pass breakups, somewhere around 50, 60 tackles. Um, I think that's probably what you're looking for, although potentially not as much if because in that season, Derwin was obviously hurt. Uh, and then you sort of had to have, you know, uh, that was Rayshon Jenkins and Nasir Adderley, uh, you know, being sort of the one two safety that time uh, really depends on what they kind of see in Mark Webb and Alohi Gilman at this point. Um, I think they're probably higher on Mark Webb. Uh, so if they do want to play him more uh, then you could kind of see him getting in the rotation a little bit. JT Woods is clearly safety three at this point, but depends on how much they want to play the other guys. Cause that obviously affects, you know, how many chances he has to get interceptions and pass breakups and, and things of that nature, uh, as well as racking up tackles. Um, the, the one, if we're projecting stats, the one thing that's concerning is from the gate, he's probably going to struggle with missed tackle rate. Sure. Um, I, I don't think there's much of a doubt about that. Uh, but you know, we'll kind of see, you know, how that progresses in the season. I could see him starting at maybe like a 20% missed tackle rate in those first few weeks and then see that slowly start to come down throughout the season. I think that's optimally what you would kind of want to see in terms of development. Um, but yeah, I, I think JT Woods is pretty clearly, you know, safety three at this point, they're going to have Derwin, him and Nas, you know, rotating pretty consistently. Um, so, uh, I'm I'm curious to see what they kind of want in his role. I think you'll have him playing a lot of deep. I don't think he'll be playing up close because I think they'll let Derwin and, and Nas handle that stuff, obviously, sort of because of JT's missed tackle rate and just because those guys are more comfortable with that right now in general, having been in the league. Um, but yeah, I think, I think it'll be a bit of a slower process than people are thinking in terms of bringing him along, but he's obviously going to see the field a lot. I think he probably gets... I mean, you could probably round it up to like... 45, 50 tackles, uh, let's say one interception and 
for pass breakups. Like, I, I think that's kind of what you're looking for in a JT Woods rookie campaign. Yeah, I think in terms of his role, like Alex is saying, I do expect him to be that third safety. I think mm-hmm. that athletic profile is just going to be, you know, so, so useful for them. And if you're talking about like playing time, you know, Alohi Gilman and Trey Marshall combined for 562 snaps last year mm-hmm. uh, as kind of those those third and fourth safeties, mostly third safeties. Um, and, and I think not all of those will go to Woods, right? Like I do expect, you know, Mark Webb to be involved as well, but we'll probably see Woods start a couple games. You know, Adderley's kind of had some hamstring issues here and there. Of course, Derwin hasn't uh, been fully healthy since his rookie season. Again, not obviously wishing the match to happen, but, you know, just kind of the reality of the NFL is that Woods will start probably two or three games. And I think he ends up playing like somewhere around 15 maybe 20 snaps tops per game. And so if you can get, you know, 40 tackles out of him, like seven to 10 run stops, maybe an interception, maybe a fumble recovery, get his hands on a couple, yeah. a couple of balls, a couple turnovers, and then keep that missed tackle rate relatively low. <laughs> then I think we can talk about a good rookie season. I think if his missed tackle rate is, is anything worse than 17.9, then we're, then we're going to be you know, having some questions there. So as long as that improves for me, as long as he gets his hands on a couple turnovers, I think I'll be pretty happy if he's able to stay involved, play maybe, you know, 400 snaps, 350 and, you know, be okay, be a serviceable starter. Then I think we can be happy and see some flashes for, you know, a potential breakout season as, as a sophomore uh, once this year Adderley potentially moves on. Yeah. But you guys covered most of it at this point. I think, with the same roster as last year, if you're just looking at like coverage snaps, maybe he gets like 350 coverage snaps. But I know they're not safeties, but they kept Davis. They add Callahan. They drafted Sear Taylor. Webb's going to be healthy and competing. Dean Leonard's an outside corner. I don't think he really applies here. I guess Davis isn't really either. But I guess you have a lot of DBs. And so I think that just kind of sure. eats away at how much he'll be on the field. A little. I, I'm curious to see what happens in training camp with his role when it comes to any kind of man coverage, if at all, does he work against tight ends at all? Does he play in the slot at all? Does he blitz? Uh, so those those two things, if he's a pass rusher in some capacity, is he manning up against tight ends at all in any capacity? I don't think he does do that. And so I think Mark Webb can kind of eat some snaps there. So I'm same page as you guys. I think like 200, 250 snaps, one interception, 10 run stops, that sort of thing. I think if, you know, Brandon, we've talked about this before, but Brandon Staley obviously wants to help his young players be comfortable in their roles right away. And I think it's possible, right, that maybe JT Woods, his immediate role is exclusively playing the deep parts of the field in certain dime package situations. Maybe Mark Webb is exclusively kind of your your money backer or slot guy. And the two of them kind of split that third safety role. I think that's totally possible, but um, I think Woods really the focus here for me is, you know, get some turnovers, improve that missed tackle rate and really kind of show that improved technique because, you know, I went back and watched some of uh, the Rams defense and Jordan Fuller, of course, is somebody that really stands out to you from a processing standpoint. I think you can see some some safe comparisons in terms of technique, in terms of ability mentally between Fuller and JT Woods's film as a prospect at Baylor. And so, I mean, obviously Woods is a, is a much great, a much better athlete than, than Jordan Fuller was Fuller, a seventh round pick out of Ohio state. Um, 
but mentally there's a lot of comparisons there for me. So I think the future is certainly bright for, for JT Woods. I'm not necessarily projecting like an immediate starter role unless somebody is injured, mm-hmm. but I, I think he will contribute right away. He will be an instant impact player. Just depends, you know, how much we're talking about here. Right. Yep. Totally agree. So we'll move on next to Isaiah Spiller, who I think is probably going to be, you know, their biggest impact rookie in terms of statistics. Uh, mm-hmm. Tyler, why don't you run down his uh, 2021 numbers here? Sure. So uh, over a thousand rushing yards, just a bit, 5.7 yards per attempt, 189 receiving yards, 3.63 yards after or yards. What the hell is that again? Per attempt. Yards per contact or yards after contact per attempt. I hate the way that's that's written. <laughs> uh, six touchdowns, one fumble, an RAS score of 5.73. I don't know if you knew that he had a low RAS score. Uh, people, <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm sure Alex has told us. Uh, and then a composite rankings, 11 out of 20. So just like solid, you know, yeah, average. All right. Well, Tyler, why don't you uh, kick us off here? Because you're kind of the highest on, of on Spiller of the three of us. So what are you sure. what are your expectations for Spiller's rookie season? So I think looking at how they use Justin Jackson and we do see some Justin Jackson in him. I think he'll eat the combined reps of Justin Jackson for sure. And then just one of those RB three fours from last year, whether that's Roundtree, whether that's Kelly which should give him about 150 touches on the year. Even though he is a running back who's going to play a solid chunk of snaps, I just don't know how featured they're going to make him. If Eckler goes down, then this is a lot of touches and a yeah. big part of the offense. But And that might happen. Eckler might miss a game or two. Um, and that's kind of what you drafted Spiller for. So I have him at about 150 touches, about six yards per touch overall. So that does include receiving. Because he can do both, that does raise his floor for me and his ceiling. Um, so I have about 900 yards and four touchdowns. Touchdowns seem low. I know people want more. But you just, like, I think Xander Horvath is going to steal a couple. I think another sure. running back, Austin Eckler, Gerald Everett, Herbert can run. Like, there's just, there's so many people who can steal touchdowns on this team. I think I'll have a nice, solid 900-ish yards. Way more if Eckler goes down early and then four touchdowns. Yeah, if Eckler goes down and misses time, then obviously we're talking about a, a much bigger season for Isaiah Spiller. And so I, I did an article for LAFB a few weeks ago, just kind of outlining, you know, what kind of recent history would tell us about Isaiah Spiller's, you know, season because running back really is, you know, one of the positions, one of the rare positions where as a rookie, you, you generally see guys hit the ground running, you see them contribute. And, and so I wanted to figure out potentially what kind of role we were looking at. What are some recent comparisons? And I think my the comparison that I settled on was Carrion Johnson and the Lions. Obviously, his career has not turned out great. And so hopefully Spiller has a better career than Carrion Johnson does. But I think as a rookie, I like the comparison because you know the Lions had the Garrett Blunt and Theo Riddick, you know, two veterans who kind of took the load or took the 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 majority of the workload, if you will, from uh, a rushing perspective that's blunt, obviously, and a passing perspective in Theo Riddick. And so I think that if you combine blunt and Riddick, you're essentially getting the kind of workload for Austin Eckler is what I'm trying to say here. Um, Legator Blunt ended up with 154 carries that season. Johnson had 118. Riddick caught 61 passes and Johnson caught 32. So I think, you know, if you talk about the kind of split that the Chargers could potentially have with Eckler, and uh, Isaiah Spiller, you could be looking at at something similar in that regard. Obviously, Austin Eckler, a much better running back than Legarrette Blunt and, and Theo Riddick. 
But, you know, I, I agree with the amount of touches. I think if you project him into that same kind of split, you're talking around 150 carries, maybe 20 catches. And so you could potentially see Isaiah Spiller getting around 815, just kind of if you take the league average there, you know, 150 yard, 150 carries at league average, um, four yards per carry, and then 20 catches at seven yards per carry, which is the average for uh, running backs and receiving options. So I think you could have, you know, kind of a, a really safe floor here for Isaiah mm-hmm. Spiller, potentially around 800 yards, four touchdowns. And then, you know, if he's able to be above average, you were talking about 4.5 yards per carry, maybe 7.5 yards per reception, then you're really talking about a super successful rookie season uh, if things go well. And, you know, I expect him to, to make an impact right away because of the improved offensive line, because the Chargers, frankly, need a player like this. And so even if you're a little pessimistic about the prospect, I think you can definitely see a route to instant success for Isaiah Spiller. Yeah, I mean, there's a really high floor in terms of his production just because he's going to be RB2. Eckler, you know, towards the end of last season was pretty banged up because no one behind him did anything, (laughs) um, frankly, and like he needed help. So, you know, you can kind of project a pretty safe floor for Isaiah Spiller. There's a reason people want him in like dynasty and fantasy drafts and and stuff like that. Um, So, you know, I I do think you're kind of looking at uh, probably let's say four and a half, five yards of carry, um, you know, just kind of functioning off of the offense, obviously playing behind Eckler, I think gives him a heads up. Uh, and so we'll, we'll see kind of how things play out. Um, I think with receiving yards, it, it's, it's so hard to predict just because Justin Jackson and like all those guys combined uh, in terms of Kelly and Roundtree last year, I believe had something along the lines of, 500, 550 rushing yards. And then Jackson was pretty much the only receiving running back in that group ended up having 178. Um, So yeah, I think you could kind of combine their rushing production if you wanted and say, all right, well, he'll probably have about 550, like 600 if we assume in terms of rushing yards, if we're assuming that he's going to be RB2 for the whole year. And then, you know, depending on how things go, obviously, if he plays really well or has to play RB1 for some games, then, you know, uh, those numbers go up. If he starts to struggle or, you know, stuff like that, then those numbers can like slightly kind of go down. Um, And then I think you probably have like a solid like a, a little bit like Justin Jackson, probably somewhere between like 140, 180 receiving yards as well. So I guess if I had to like pick a number, I'll probably go like seven, 750 combined yards and let's say five touchdowns, right? Like that's sort of where I'm at with it. Um, and I think depending on his role, I think those numbers can move up or down. But I think mm-hmm. out of all the rookies, he's pretty clearly like the one that's going to get the most stats and probably the most recognition around the league. I'm really curious what his leash is in terms of being able to sure. make a mistake you know in training camp on the field you know they, they, they had to draft kelly and do you remember if, if kelly was benched after a couple of fumbles in 2020 uh, he was yeah so yeah i'm really curious because spiller like is the perceived rb2 and is the better running back i think but you do have kelly you do have round now granted they might not even be on the roster by the time they're considering benching spiller sure. but I'm, I'm really curious how many mistakes they might let him make yeah, I think 
I think he'll have a pretty long leash. You know, LA Chargers fan asking if Horvath makes Kelly and Roundtree disposable. <laughs> Shout out to Ben, man. Ben, that was a really funny response there. Ben said Kelly and Roundtree make Kelly and Roundtree disposable, which, you know, is <laughs> accurate. So um, we'll we'll talk about Xander Horvath in a minute here. But, uh, you know, I think one of those two, Kelly and Roundtree, meaning will probably make the roster um, and just because they don't really have that. Like if Justin Jackson were still here, then obviously that's your RB three, but they don't really have that mm-hmm. guy right now, so yeah, we'll have to see there. Um, all right, let's get to uh, Big Tito. We'll get to Tito next. Obviously, the Chargers fifth round pick of Tito Obonia. Uh, I just did my uh, get to know article or interview, excuse me, with uh, Will Decker from LAFB chatting about Tito. So that'll be dropping tomorrow. So stay tuned for that one. Um, Tito Bonia last year for UCLA had 17 run stops, 14 pressures, two sacks, a PRP of 2.9, pass rush win rate of 8.4. RES was 4.78, and he was 17th out of 17 on our composite rankings. And I think a lot of that, as you'll hear from Will Decker, is due to extremely poor coaching at UCLA. Um, I think you see some flashes on film, but the thing with Tito and his projecting his rookie season for me is just how difficult it is for rookie defensive tackles to make a true impact. And I think, you know, we can definitely be excited about him and I am excited about him as well. I think there is a very high ceiling here for in, in terms of physical, you know, attributes, but I went and looked at the last five drafts, last five draft classes how many defensive tackle prospects as rookies hit 15 total pressures? Uh, that was kind of the sweet spot in terms of are you good as a rookie? Are you bad as a rookie? So 15 was kind of the number there for reference sake. Jerry Tillery had 10 as a rookie. Justin Jones had 12 the year before that. So just kind of a, a bar there that you might want. So of every single defensive tackle drafted since 2017, only 17 defensive tackles hit 15 total pressures as a rookie, which is not a lot. That's not a good number. Um, and if you talk about run stops, 18 was kind of the, the sweet spot that I found there. And only 18 defensive tackles hit 18 run stops as a rookie. And the majority of those were obviously first round players that were starters that were getting a lot of reps. You had Christian Barmore had 51 total pressures last year as a rookie, which is absolutely insane. But for the most part, if you're talking about a rookie defensive tackle, you're talking about a fifth-round draft prospect like Tito, you're talking about somebody who's kind of that fifth, sixth guy in your in your room, if you will, potentially four, depending on how your roster shakes out. So I think we'll see some flashes from Tito, but I'm definitely not expecting like him to have a huge role, mm-hmm. make a huge impact. I think you could even point to like Osa Odigazua for the Cowboys last year had like 28 pressures, six sacks. I think even that is a little bit uh, out of the realm of possibility for Tito, but I am excited about the prospect. This is definitely not me kind of, you know, trying to dump on Tito at all, but I think we just need more than anybody in this class. I think Tito needs to have some tempered expectations, both because it's such a hard position to transition to in the NFL. And we don't necessarily project him to have a huge role because Mm -hmm. of the players that are in front of him. Yeah, that that's kind of the thing. Maybe a decent role, but not with Morgan Fox. I know they're not the same position by any means, but that does take quite a bit away. Stephen, can you remind me again? I don't know if you know it off the top of your head. 
how many defensive tackle rookies last year had more than or had double digit pressures and how many the year before uh so if you take it down to 10 it was four rookie defensive tackles and if you can't if you do like 15 run stops it was six Jeez. so it was last year's class was rough you know the best class that i saw was the christian wilkins and dexter lawrence class i think that was 2019 if i'm not mistaken so that class has had a lot of instant impact defensive tackles but last year it was pretty much like christian barmore osa digazua and then like not much else which makes sense that was basically the draft like that's how we all yeah. mostly thought about the draft as is yeah uh yeah it, it's just so hard to project much for him and that's fine i think they know they're stacking this line i think they know that they're moving off from jerry tillery so next year it's fifth it's a fifth round pick who yeah. you know it will need some time to fix some things but yeah like a four or five pressures two three four or five run snaps stops maybe a hundred snaps yeah it's just it's just not going to be a big year for him and that's fine Alex, you good? Um, yeah, yeah, I'm good. Sorry, just trying to hit the unmute button. Uh, no, I think Otito is going to. I think if he had been drafted in 2021, he probably gets on the field uh, maybe a little bit sooner, just because of all the issues the Chargers had. Sure. Uh, yeah, obviously defending the run last year, and then all the bodies that dropped because of COVID, because of injuries, right? Um, and you also had players like. Linval Joseph and Justin Jones, who, you know, uh, were free agents after the year. So that would kind of be like a transition. Plus the Chargers were 28th and run defense anyway. And the defensive line had yeah. their problems. So it's like, all right, why not throw him into the fire and, and just see what he does. Right. But now the Chargers are very much a contend now team uh, and they have to have their defensive line together. They've obviously, you know, gotten all of these guys that we've mentioned over the course uh, of this podcast, right? Adding Morgan Fox to that uh, this week and, you know, getting pretty much every, you know, defensive lineman under the sun to try to like boost this line. Uh, so for me, you know, Steven kind of called it in the chat like a red shirt year. I don't know if I would go quite that far in, in terms of like, he, you know, because he will play in spurts, right? But uh, I, I just think with the amount of talent they've added, I don't see him, you know, putting up, you know, some big sack numbers. Certainly not six sacks and 28 pressures. Um, yeah. I think if you wanted to, like, make, like, a real number, it would probably be something like 10 pressures, two sacks. Like, you know, maybe that's kind of, like, underselling it. But at the same time, I just don't think he's going to be on the field very much to get those opportunities he's not in their top two pass rushing interior defensive linemen with Jerry Tillery and uh, Morgan Fox. He's not going to be rack up a ton of tackles as like a nose tackle or a run defense ideal either. So it's just hard to really like find a spot for him where he's going to rack up these numbers. And I think that's how it's supposed to be. Anyway, they let mm -hmm. some guys walk next year and then Otito kind of like slides into, you know, like a quasi you know, early on Justin Jones role, like kind of next year. I think that's sort of what you're uh, eventually looking from him. Uh, same number, by the way, I took his number. Uh, but uh, we'll sort of see how this all plays out. But yeah, I think you're kind of just looking at him uh, as, as as depth this year. And if some guys get hurt or you know, COVID comes back or whatever it is, then maybe he'll be forced to play. Um, but I think this is very much a learning season from him considering how much his potential is, but how rough he is as a prospect right now. 
Steven, when you were doing the get to know you interview, was there any talk of Otito maybe being more suited for nose tackle or any nose tackle talk or how did I, I don't want to spoil your interview, but I was just curious if maybe they perceived him as a different kind of player. No, we talked more about him, just kind of his general skill set. I think you can be comfortable with him playing from the nose and playing from the three tech. So I think, you know, he's kind of penciled in there. I think, you know, in a pinch, maybe he could play over the tackle and he did do a little bit of that um, at UCLA. But I think you're talking about a nose, a nose tackle. You're talking about a three tech. And, you know, I, I do feel really comfortable with his projection um, in, in terms of next year. Right, because Christian Covington's on a one-year deal. Um, you know, we'll see about Morgan Fox, but again, different kind of skill sets. You know, Brain Fajoko's a free agent next year. Jerry Tiller's a free agent next year. Forrest Merrill, uh, potentially still on the roster, I guess, in terms of practice squad. But Otito will definitely get his chance next year to make it a strong impact. And I think having a season where he's not asked to do a ton is going to be so beneficial for him because you know something we did talk about in our interview is that. 2021 was the first time ever in his life that he has been able to truly focus on football in a, in the springtime because he was always doing shot put at, at UCLA. So this current, this current spring was the first time ever in his life where he's had nothing else but football to focus on. And so now you're talking about a player who has this whole, you know, season to learn and progress and maybe play, you know, cause we saw Chris Rumpf play like five snaps a game, essentially, I think you're talking about a very similar snap workload for Otito. And then maybe you start him in, in a couple of games in a pinch. You play him, you know, 20 snaps if there's some injury injuries in front of him. So, yeah, I'm sure people will really want to see him on the field. And I really want to see him on the field. But I think you're talking about your sixth defensive tackle, essentially. Um, and so you're not going to see him a ton. But I think next year, after he has a full season to kind of adjust to the NFL speed, adjust to the scheme, adjust to not doing shot put in the spring. I think next year as a sophomore, you could potentially see a really good season for him. Of course, relative to, you know, to a, a nose tackle, of course. Yeah. So Rumpf had 176 snaps in 17 games, but there were games of three, seven, three, eight, and then games of 31, 25. And that's all just injury based. Yeah. Cause he played like 30 something against the Bengals, which was yeah. by far mm -hmm. his best game. And, you know, he played a little bit more against Houston, obviously. So I think you're looking about a very similar strategy for, for Tito this year. You know, play him sparingly. Obviously, he's not going to play special teams as much as Chris Rumpf did. But, you know, he, he's going to be your sixth defensive tackle. He's going to make some impact here and there. Start in a pinch or play 20 snaps in a pinch, you know. And I think you feel comfortable with him being that guy. Yeah, Absolutely. Side note, I didn't realize Rumpf didn't register a single defensive snaps in week 18 against the Raiders. Really? Not one? Not according to Pro Football Focus. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah, I think you can you can play him in a pinch um, if injuries happen. Uh, you could Hey, we could play him on special teams. We saw the Fajoko-Houston uh, game, <laughs> right? So you can, you can throw a big True. guy out there and have some success. Uh, but yeah, no, I think this is a year where Tito should just sit back, learn, you have a real football coach now as opposed to Chip <laughs> Kelly. Uh, so one of the most prepared in the game as opposed to one of the most stupid motherfuckers I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> let, him let him chill. And then next year's the breakout year for Tino. Yeah. Okay, man, what if that... Chip Kelly was the front runner to coach the 76ers? Would you take him or Doc Rivers? <laughs> I, would, I, would not, I, would, I would not watch basketball anymore. 
<laughs> yeah, you know, I, I think Tito's going to love not having to drop into coverage or drop into a quarterback spy anymore because that's what you say would ask him to do like five times a game. I'm like, what are we doing here with a 340-pound nose tackle? My goodness. All right, let's uh, let's talk about Jamari Sawyer, the Chargers' sixth-round pick, pick number 195. Obviously won a national championship at Georgia. Had a fantastic pass-blocking efficiency rating with 99.1. Only allowed four pressures on the season as an offensive tackle in the SEC, which is amazing. Crazy. One sack allowed, five penalties. I think two of those were declined, if I'm not mistaken, from PFF. RES was 4.15. We did not rank him on our composite rankings, but I think his, uh, you know, general composite board was pretty, you know, fantastic. And, uh, you know, we'll, we'll talk a little bit about him here. So mm-hmm. I think by far this is the rookie that has the – you know, most out, most possible outcomes for yep. this team, for this class, obviously. He could potentially start. He could potentially get a redshirt season. You know, there is kind of that knee issue that was pointed out to us after the draft and how he couldn't mm-hmm. squat anymore. But so he's another one. Maybe you give him the Brendan Hymas treatment and you don't really see him as a rookie. Maybe you give him a chance to start at one of the guard spots and he, and he earns that position. So this by far to me is the most complicated situation, but you know, we all love this draft pick. So I guess it's just kind of what we're expecting for from his rookie season. Yeah, that's basically it. Like you said, the largest range of outcomes, I, I have no idea. So I, I believe he's a left guard right now in camp, which is yeah. expected. That's not unexpected, but that was just rookies. I, I totally think he can start. I think again, my conspiracy is that Filer is just working out a reworked ish <laughs> contract so he can play right tackle, you know, give him a little bit of a, extra bonus for doing them a solid. Uh, but to me, I do think inevitably he is not a starter this year, barring injury. And I do think he is going to have a nice role as an extra offensive lineman, but I think it's just going to be a, you know, a hundred snap kind of year from him hundred snaps, because I think there's a good chance. There's just one start in there somewhere. Yeah. I mean, I think we also, one of the things we have to mention is just sort of his medicals also a little bit, right? Like that was sort of uncertain coming out of the draft. We don't think that he has a current injury now by any means, but like that kind of changed on a day to day basis as he like starts playing in practice or starts playing at camp. So I I think that's something to watch for this season. Um, But no, I, I don't think he gets on the field this year, but it's so uncertain and murky what they're doing at right tackle that like you could tell me that he ends up being one of the guards or Jaimez ends up being one of the guards or, you know, yeah. depending on if they kick Filer out there or you could tell me that they sign a completely new right tackle off the street tomorrow to, you know, <laughs> you know, be the new guy. Yeah. Uh, I, I wouldn't be shocked by that either. So there's just so many possibilities um, and definitely the draft pick with the most variance in terms of outcomes, like Steven said. Um, but yeah, no, I don't think he starts this year. I think uh, sort of in the vein of Otito, although I think Otito will be on the field more just because of the the nature of the position. Um, right. I, I think Jamari is pretty much taking a retro year, barring injuries to other players. So I guess really the question here, is if you're th- if you're swinging to your offensive lineman is a competition between Brennan Hymas and Jamari Salyer, you know, who wins that competition and how many games do they play? Obviously, you know, your starting guards are, are you know, un- it's so hard to keep all of your five offensive linemen healthy. So whoever is that swing into your offensive lineman, whether it's Hymas or Salyer, will play and will start games this season. 
It's just a matter of, you know, who wins that competition. Is Sellier healthy? Do they feel like he needs mm-hmm. a, a medical red shirt season as opposed to just straight up, hey, like we want to take it slow with him, adjust to the NFL like they did with Brendan Hymas, because I think that's a different conversation. But I think if if I know that Jamari Sawyer is healthy, then I think I would much prefer Sawyer playing over Brendan Hymas. I agree, but only because I've watched one of these players that I really like him. Yeah. Um, but you you have more experience watching these guys, so I'll trust you on that one. Yeah, I mean, I, I think I would just, based on the film, prefer watching Salier right in that role. But also, I feel like the NFL does have its kind of growing process with players. So if they go, well, this player's been in our system for one year. This player, you know, in terms of Jaime's, uh, maybe is more ready to start now. I think that could be a line of reasoning. But, you know, there was a reason that they doubled down on guard in this draft when they saw the value in Salier. So, um, I, you know, I wouldn't take anything off the table for sure. Yeah. And as you know, Tyreek points out, they could certainly you know get all these guys in camp. Maybe at that point, you kind of are uncomfortable with the right tackle situation. So maybe at that point, you can give Dennis or not Dennis Kelly, unfortunately not Dennis Kelly, uh, Riley Reef a call. Maybe at that point, you bring in Darrell Williams. So I, I think that is certainly a possibility. And if they do sign a right tackle, then I think that obviously pushes Sawyer down the board a little bit. So I think if you're talking about like his best case scenario for me, it's like if I mentioned as a swing into your offensive lineman, maybe a Kevin Dotson type of player. You know, obviously the Pittsburgh Steelers in 2020 did so much quick game that, you know, their pass blocking numbers are, are extremely skewed. And Dotson only allowed one pressure as a rookie, which is absolutely bonkers in five starts because, you know, they just were not dropping back at a high level. But, you know, if you really look at it, he was kind of a mid-level guard in those kind of uh, games. And, you know, I remember watching him when I was watching Matt Filer. And I feel comfortable with that, like, physical and ability comparison. Obviously not expecting Seller to allow one pressure in five games because the Chargers actually do real passing concepts in the NFL, unlike the Steelers did in 2020. Anyone? Bueller? All right. Let's move on here to uh, Ja Taylor then. So oh, these last oh, that, be, that's right. He goes by jaw. Yeah, sorry. Yeah. Yeah. He does go by jaw. So everybody who's listening to this, uh, he goes by jaw, not just here. So take that for what it's worth. Uh, 2021 by the numbers as Tyler has here, 55 tackles, 16 run stops. Oh, uh, it- <laughs> that's a typo. <laughs> this man set a record for missed tackle percentage at 173.2. Is, is that 17.2 or is wow. that 17.2? Uh, Three, seventeen point three, hundred seventy three point two. Mm. <laughs> I guess I guess JT Woods isn't the only one who needs to work on his mistake. Like, we, we got we got a situation over here. <laughs> oh my goodness, that's hilarious. Uh, anyways, he allowed five touchdowns, had five interceptions, and in pass breakups. Res was eight point three one, and again, we did not rank him. So mm. I think it's safe to say we don't really project a huge role for no. Jaw Taylor. I think he's probably your version of Ryan Smith. If Ryan Smith had ever been able to stay healthy, uh, you're mm-hmm. talking about probably a special teams gunner, uh, core special teams player, and maybe your fourth or fifth corner if people are injured. But I do not really expect Taylor to play a ton as a rookie. 
Yeah, I just don't see maybe a nice special teams role. I think he's an emergency returner for them. Otherwise, it's going to be sub, sub, sub package, roster bubble, you know, maybe blitz, you know, free pressures in there somewhere randomly, 10 tackles, but uh, solid special teams piece. Don't see him do anything much this year. Yeah, uh, don't see it either. Could see it going forward in 2023 or something like that, but pretty much core special teamer. I think you kind of replace him as Ryan Smith as the gunner, or he just plays special teams in general. Um, and then if a couple DB go down, then you could like theoretically start to see him get into the game a little bit. Um, but no, I, I think he's almost special teams exclusive. <laughs> Which which of you type the Rex Burkhead thing? Me. <laughs> oh my goodness, that's hilarious. It's thirteen point two. I was I copy pasted um, JT Woods categories into here, and I didn't delete the seven. So thirteen point two. Still not great, but better than one hundred seventy three point two. Slightly, slightly. Um, no, but I, I think there's. There's some things to like here in terms of a special teams projection, of course. And then if he becomes more than that, fantastic. Okay, we won't spend a ton of time on Dean Leonard. Uh, frankly, I would be very surprised if he makes the roster because of the other players in that cornerback room. Mm-hmm. Uh, but 2021 by the numbers, 40 tackles, 11 run stops, missed tackle percentage of 14.3, two touchdowns allowed, seven interceptions and pass breakups. Uh, combined, RES was 7.68. So he is more of an outside corner projection as opposed to Taylor, who's a little bit more of a slot, potentially safety hybrid, according to some people online. Um, But I don't know, like, am I the only one here that thinks Dean Leonard probably is a practice squad guy, or do you guys think he makes the roster? I think if they have him playing some sort of safety, it's possible. If they just want to punt Alohi Gilman into the sun, then potentially as a versatile, right. (laughs) as a versatile corner slot. Like, I think he is better suited as a safety immediately. I don't know. I, I, I just, this is the biggest reach of the Telesco era since 2016, as far back as the data goes. It's tough to project him making the roster, just given all their other guys. He's battling out for Devon Campbell, though, so it is it is possible. I just don't see him being more valuable right now than Devon Campbell, which I know is a whole thing for Chargers fans. <laughs> but Tavon Campbell was a starter was not great, but I think what he provides is more than what Leonard will provide as a backup. Yeah, I mean, there's not a lot to say here other than we just said Jasir Taylor is, I'm sorry, Ja Taylor is not going to play that much, and Dean Leonard's going to play even less or potentially not make the roster and be on the practice squad. So, like, he's yeah. kind of behind a guy who's behind a guy who's behind a guy at this point. Um, but yeah, I. I, I think he could make the roster in an instance where they just decide, hey, maybe we're throwing out both Mark Webb and Alohi Gilman and we're just going to put him there. Like, in theory, I guess it's possible, but no, like, I, I just don't see a role for him really on the roster in general. And even if he does make the roster, he's certainly not getting any kind of playing time. And you sort of are, already have John Taylor for the special teams value corner. Uh, so, yeah. no. Uh, pretty much exclusively developmental guy, see where he is next year. I mean, if you're talking about like best case scenario for him, obviously, you know, he earns a roster spot in training camp. And I think, you know, certainly that is possible. Tavon Campbell, definitely not a world beating kind of corner. But if you're keeping six corners, if you're keeping four safeties, then there's going to be players who are the odd men out. And of course, I would I would tend to think that would be Alohi Gilman and 
Dean Leonard. So just kind of depends, I guess, if he really is able to beat out Tavon Campbell for that fifth or sixth spot. But I think, you know, they like Campbell and they like him as a fourth corner or a fifth cornerback yeah. option. And I think that's fine. Like if you're asking him to be a CB one against Jeffer- Justin Jefferson, then obviously that's not going to go well. But if you're talking about a cornerback room that added JC Jackson, hopefully gets Asante Samuel Jr. healthy, added Bryce Callahan, then Tavon Campbell as your fifth corner is completely fine. Like I, there are not many other cornerback rooms in the league that have like a stud CB five that they feel great about. So for the most part, NFL teams stack up these developmental guys, guys that they feel comfortable with starting in a pinch or being a CB three in a pinch. And so I think that is, you know, Tavon Campbell, but if they pick Dean instead of Campbell and they roll with uh, jaw Taylor as CB five and Dean Leonard as CB six, because they were the drafted players, then I think that's fine. Uh, NFL is lit asking about Kimon Hall. I think Kimon Hall is definitely gone at this point. Uh, you have too many slot guys at this yeah. point for Hall to really have a, a chance, in my opinion. So really for me, in the last spot in the cornerback room is, is Campbell or Dean Leonard. Yeah, and we're not far from Tavon Campbell. Like They benched Michael Davis, $10 million a year, and Asante Samuel Jr., second-round picks in back-to-back games for Devon Campbell. So, I mean, again, maybe things went south, and they did for Campbell. Maybe things went south in the eyes of the coaches, but there was a point where he was, like, they wanted him on the field really bad over guys they invested a lot in. So I just, even though he is older, he'll be 30 or whatever, I just, I still think they're going to keep him over Leonard at this point. Yeah, and... One of these Charger scouts has to be Canadian or something, man, because they have stacked up like eight Canadian players, which I think is so cool. But also, like, where did this come from? Yeah. Also, like, they have so many Canadians on the team now that we have to we had to start a separate channel on our Discord to talk about Canadians. And <laughs> like, there's too many Canadians on this team. Someone's got to someone's got to fix this. But I think D. Leonard, you, we'll see if he makes the roster or not. But yeah. yeah. Yeah, there was a sneaky, sneaky pick, uh, a Notre Dame pick here. It was Dean Leonard because from he was Notre, Notre Dame, Dame high, high school, school or something like yeah, that. Yeah, so and... people thought that <laughs> Telesco didn't pick anybody from Notre Dame. He did. Just Notre Dame high school. Mm. Yeah. Now, luckily, we replaced the Notre Dame fix with a Georgia fix, which is, I think, much better. Uh, <laughs> thanks to Brandon Staley. So I will definitely <laughs> take that. All right, we'll talk. Uh, we'll wrap this up with uh, some fullback talk with Xander Horvath. Um, <laughs> was kind of a running back fullback hybrid last year for Purdue. Uh, Tom Telesco threw out a Mike Allstott comparison, which I think is outrageous <laughs> considering how good Mike Allstott was back in the day. But hey, you know, whatever floats your boat. Uh, so 2021 by the numbers, he had 319 rushing yards, 3.5 yards per attempt. He had 108 receiving yards. Uh, yards after contact per attempt was 2.78. Three touchdowns, one fumble, a Damn near perfect RAS. I assume that's that as a fullback or is that as a running back? That's a good question. Oh, Jacob Father? Bruin pointed out that Eamon Ogbogmamiga went to Notre Dame High School with Dean Leonard. Oh. There we go. <laughs> <laughs> what a question from Thomas. <laughs> Listen. Yeah, so the question from Thomas is, let's be honest, did you show Horvath's shirtless pro day photo to your significant others, and did you immediately go work out after? Uh, you know, Listen, 
I, I'm taking my fiance to Hawaii in a couple of weeks, so I don't need to work out. Uh, um, I, I'm good. Question. I actually have not seen Xander Horvath's shirtless pro day photo. Oh, I'll can find we, it. Can, can yep, you find it? And pull yeah, it up? Replace, replace, replace your nerd slideshow. We just have to get into this on the show. <laughs> the shirtless <laughs> pro day photo. This is the content that people come here for. A shirtless picture of the Chargers fullback. <laughs> Look, if you've been here for an hour and a fucking half talking about all these guys, that some of them which won't play, we can talk about Xander Horvath's <laughs> photo. <laughs> I will say it's certainly... Um, the guy's completely jacked up, man. It's crazy. Oh, man. Yeah, I mean, did you find it yet? Yeah, 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 yeah. Hold on. Yeah, so I mean, going back to Xander Horvath and serious analysis, uh, I, you I gotta think wait. It's... it's coming up right, oh, right now. Oh, oh, <laughs> shit. Oh, fuck. Um, okay. Look wow. at that man's traps, dude. And wow. his... you gotta um, make it like full screen, though. Yeah. Okay, let's go with uh, let's just go with this one. At least one of my one of my fellow Alex's is jacked. I'm uh, I'm not anywhere near this, so it's okay. You know, you have brain muscles. I suppose. There sometimes. There's <laughs> Xander Alexander Horvath for you, everybody. There we go. There we go. <laughs> what was Alex's reaction? Well, I don't know what my reaction was. I'm just tired. <laughs> no, we're looking at shirtless pictures of Vendor Horvath on the podcast. Um, wow. <laughs> we just got stare at this for 20 more minutes. <laughs> All right, get the presentation back up here. Let's get back to our nerdy shit. Or take it off in general. That's fine, too. All right, so... Um, you know, I think in terms of these post Isaiah Spiller picks on day three, I think you're talking about Horvath potentially leading them in snaps, which uh, is completely fine. I think you're comfortable with him being the Chargers fullback at this point. You know, obviously Gabe Neighbors is uh, going to get cut because they drafted Xander Horvath. Um, I think you're talking about 10 to 15 snaps a game, a couple carries here and there, a couple catches here and there. So he's not going to necessarily like, I'd be pretty surprised if he ends up with 400 yards from scrimmage and three touchdowns, right. but you know, maybe he gets, you know, hundred yards from scrimmage or hundred yards, rushing 50 yards, catching couple touchdowns. But I think his main impact is going to be as a blocker, you know, be that fullback that they've kind of missed since Derek Watt left the team and uh, be a core special teams player for them and use that shredded physical profile to make an impact on special teams. I love how he's this massive physical specimen, and it is as a running back, the RAF score. Yet he's got 3.5 yards per attempt, and his yards after contact average is less than Isaiah Spiller, who's like... Well, you're probably not talking about somebody who gets, you know, a ton of like 25, 30-yard gains or explosive runs or anything like that. Probably not, although the RAF score indicates it's possible. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think it's a really tough one to project in terms of like how many snaps and how many games he plays because Gabe Neighbors was the roster's fullback last year and most of the season he was inactive, right? Like obviously they want to get Xander Horvath involved that they use the draft pick on him, um, but they might be keeping four running backs as is. So, I mean, in theory, like that's possible. So that kind of murks up what Xander Horvath's like role would be on this team. Um but yeah, I mean, look, he's going to be replacing Gabe Neighbors. I, I think that's pretty obvious. At this point, I would be shocked if they kept Gabe Neighbors over him or 
put one or both of them on the practice squad and just didn't keep a fullback. So he's mm-hmm. going to be getting, you know, that usage in the offense. Um, but, you know, I, it's hard to come up with any like stat predictions for him sure. just because I, I don't even know what Gabe neighbor's stats were this year. Um, I'm sure Tyler could spend time looking at this on pro football. They're not great. You really want it to. Um, <laughs> but I assume Xander will be above that. Uh, but yeah, I mean, really, Isaiah Spiller is really like the only rookie offensive player I think you can make any like real projections for at this point. Yeah, Gabe Neighbors, uh, three attempts for eight yards, Woo! three receptions for seven. So uh, six total oh. touches for 25 yards. That's 2.67 yards per carry, more than I thought he had. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He thought he just had straight up zero. <laughs> they did try to feature him in like the Kansas City Chiefs game and, you know, whatnot. The, <laughs> tried. The to, tried. The tough one for me is how much of a blocker he's going to be because he just was not used as a blocker much at least that last i think the last two years for purdue i think all three years combined he's under 100 run blocking snaps in three years at purdue so i don't know it's tough to project with him uh let's say i wrote here what's his his briskets per happy roommate per capita uh, hopefully more than gabe neighbors i think (laughs) Hey, well, he's got Justin has Tito now, who's apparently a world class baker and and chef. So he, he he's filled they've they filled that void for him. He doesn't need to rely on game neighbors for uh, any uh, brisket needs. So Tito's a world class chef, baker, lawyer in training, and NFL football player, and mm. apparently a somebody who turned down uh, an appearance in the Olympics to play football. Okay, so maybe I shouldn't show my fiance pictures of Otito. Because he sounds like a very complete, amazing human being. He does. He does. All right, you guys. Any uh, final thoughts on this uh, rookie class? Uh, nope. Just can't wait to see them all go out there and perform. Oh, what are we doing? Can't wait to see them all go out there and perform. Uh, these are our rookie projections based on things that we looked at. Film, what we know. Roster construction. I'm sorry to the positivity police for not saying Isaiah Spiller would have 4,000 yards and 82 touchdowns, but we try our best to be realistic. Hey, man, but we still said that we feel very good about yeah. his rookie season. And, and so I feel like this was a good exercise yeah. in terms of, you know, outlining some expectations for these players. And obviously, you know, anything can happen. Maybe Tito is just kind of a, a world beater and uh, could potentially, you know, beat out even Jerry Tillery for that third defensive tackle spot. I don't know, but I doubt it. Um I guess I look like Al from Home Alone or Home Improvement. Uh, I guess. I mean, you're white. You have a little bit. beard. <laughs> yeah. At least he's white, man. The, the Kyle Van Oy thing as Kyle Van Oy's half black still makes no sense to me, but it is what it is. Um, mm. All right. So we will uh, wrap the show up here at this point. So appreciate all of you guys who tuned in to an hour and a half of rookie projections and Morgan Fox conversation. So, um, oh, <laughs> wait, what are we well, watching now? This is Al from Home Improvement. Al from Home Improvement. Oh, I I'm still still buffering for me. Oh yeah, yeah. Dark hair and a beard, white guy. Like no, <laughs> that's it. You don't. I you don't, don't look I anything don't, like him. Yeah, I don't see that at all. But it's all good. Um, I think I don't I don't even think I look like Tim Allen, but I could do the, you know, that voice, but I don't know. 
seen a lot of questions about Odell Beckham Jr. The answer is no. He's injured right now. So, Yeah, so someone has said we missed a super chat. It is from Carter, OBJ. Okay. Uh, no, don't think so. Chargers have mostly fun. avoided injury problems. and It'd be fun, just, but uh, I don't know if his knees work. Yeah, like I, I think if people were confident around the league in his ability to be healthy, he'd be signed right now. But he's not. So, you know, he's probably not. I mean, he tore his ACL in February. So even if you're talking about a aggressive six-month recovery, you're talking about somebody starting a game at, at halfway through the season. Yeah, I just don't. If, I mean, if somebody's injured, then sure. But yeah. if everybody's healthy, I, I don't see a role for him. If they were as in on wide receiver at 17 as the league would have us believe, then maybe they'll pick him up. But otherwise, they seem to be good with the guys they have. All right. So apologies to Carter for missing that. But uh, hey, we got to it eventually. And shout out to uh, Demetrius for pointing that out. So. Um, all right, that's going to do it for us today, guys. We will see you next time for our – we'll probably do a Q&A on Saturday, and then we're going to have a, a couple more episodes before we take a little summer break. So I uh, appreciate everybody tuning in and uh, chatting here. And as always, remember to sign up for our YouTube memberships, which is a new feature that we've kind of started. We'll have some exclusive YouTube membership videos coming out in the next few weeks or so, and that will continue throughout the season. So. Appreciate all of the support, all of the positive feedback, and uh, bolts up. We'll talk to you guys later. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.